coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. Sharon is president and CEO of Prevent Child Abuse North Carolina. Some of the beatings, they weren't whipping. Some of the beatings that I got as a child, and you say, oh, do you deserve it or not? Well, I was acting up. Some of that, I know what qualified for abuse and neglect. Over 20 years ago, there was a study called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. So mom and dad, I'm worried that we don't have enough money to pay your bills and to get food. At seven and eight, I remember that. And it has stuck to me this day that I worry about money. The five of our top 10 leading causes of death are correlated to what happens to us in childhood. It, it begs the question, how do you prevent child abuse? Powerful institutions and powerful people often protect themselves. It's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Too often, we think that child abuse is in inevitable. It's actually very, very preventable. And the more I can tell that story, the better. Adversity is not your destiny. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black the, people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, not Bill? One. Not one. Come on, Bill, one. you got to have one, a, a nope. token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids, and I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just come to you this morning just saying thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for all the blessing that you have bestowed upon everyone. You know, God, we think about Mother's Day just passed, and to think of a mother whose child has been abused. How does that affect the mother? How does that affect the father? How does that affect the mother's and the child's relationship? So as we dive into these very sensitive issues today with our special guests, we ask Holy Spirit that you give us guidance as we go forth. We thank you and we praise you. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, just uh, thank you for our guest today. Um, Thank you that she has a ministry that is uh, to prevent child abuse in North Carolina. Uh, Lord, we lift up all those children that have been abused on Mother's Day and have been abused in their lifetime. We know it has a tremendous impact on them in a negative way. Lord, uh, we ask that you lift them up and you soothe their souls. Lord, uh, thank you for all the mothers that uh, had a wonderful time yesterday. And Lord, uh, I lift up my buddy who had a birthday last this past weekend. Amen. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be here today to have a conversation about common ground, to talk about the ways that we can prevent abuse and neglect from ever happening, and for um, the the ability to 
work together to support and strengthen families. In your name we pray. Thank you. Amen. 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 Hey, Odell. Yes, sir. How you doing? Good. I got two things for you. One, happy birthday. And I want to talk about your fishing trip. I saw it all over Facebook. So I'm sure the fish have gotten bigger since you've uh, told the story. And the second thing is uh, happy Mother's Day. Well, thank you for both. Yes. You know, any good Baptist preacher knows how to embellish a little bit. And the good thing about the fishing trip was the main thing we caught was memories. You know, I had my two sons, my nephew, my brother, my brother-in-law, and just family all around me. So that that did well. Got to the point where I didn't even pick up a pole on the second day. I just sat there with my kids and just talked to them and just shared with them certain wishes I would like for them to do after I'm dead and gone. You know, stuff like that. Stuff that you can have a conversation with an adult child that you can't have with children. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That that's, those are precious moments. I did see some pictures. Uh, you caught a hammerhead shark. Uh, I didn't catch him. Some other people caught a big old, about four or five feet long shark and everything else. So everybody was catching. Odell was just trying to catch memories, you know? Yeah. So yes, it, it was a good trip. Just, good. It was, the sea was high and everything, but there, and you know, it's, it's so good about our guest today, Sharon, and I'll let you introduce her, but you know, as a, as a parent and you think about children, you know, Bill, you have children, I have children and you think about how the predator, because I remember once when we were our, our son, T. Cumsey, who I spent a lot of time with on the trip uh, was small and we were in a store called Toys R Us. And I remember T. Cumsey got lost. And oh my God, we just freaked out. And he was really just on the other aisle because we was in the toy store. And in the toy store, kids wander off. And we were just panicky. It's like, oh my God, oh my God. Because our biggest fear as a parent is someone will steal or take a child. And when I look at what's going on in Ukraine, because I always thought uh, those who prey on children, not prey, P-R-A-Y, P-R-E-Y on children, look for opportunities. And I'm like, what opportunity if we're not careful when all these little kids and the families are leaving Ukraine and everything going on, it's like, it's, it's a lot, man. And if someone's looking to take advantage, usually in the middle of chaos, whether it's in the Toys R Us store, we can't find them or something that's going on in Ukraine or anywhere else, it's a lot. And I know this is heavy duty, what we're going to talk about today, but I love the fact that we have an expert who can help us build. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm with you, Adela. I knew something about child abuse, but I really, until I started digging in and understanding the impact, not only the predator part, but there's a lot of other ways that kids get abused, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, even, um, wow. and, and they're vulnerable. They're vulnerable. And, and, and it's, the, we got, we have, we adults have to step in that space and help defend them. Uh, that's one of the reasons that uh, you and I are putting together the uh, first Youth Protection Symposium uh, in Greensboro at the Civil Rights Museum, October 28th. And uh, our guest, Sharon, is going to be uh, the keynote speaker in her agency. So let me let me introduce Sharon and uh, we'll get talking. Sharon is president and CEO of Prevent Child Abuse North Carolina. Um, she's been there. I think over seven years and uh, prevent child abuse of North Carolina is the only statewide nonprofit organization 
dedicated to preventing child abuse and neglect. Through collaboration with partners across the state, the agency works with communities to build safe, stable, nurturing relationships for all children. And prior to that, it was an interesting thing because it has it touches my life. She was executive director of Donate Life for North Carolina. Wow. Now, you know, Dory and my daughter donated a kidney. And so when I saw that, I go, wow, that's pretty cool. Sharon, welcome to the show. Well, thank you all for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I understand you and you and Odell know each other from a uh, previous position. That's right. It was a long time ago, but uh, back in the, the 1990s, when I was working with the DSS Directors Association, Odell was starting the uh, Welfare Reform Liaison Project. Wow. Yes. I was, I was running around, a Baptist preacher running around, talking about all these things we're going to do and everything else. And I appreciate people like you and so many others who believed in what I was trying to do. And 16 years later, one of the largest $100 million operation. Just It was just yep. good. But when you have a small vision, you need people like Sharon and others to believe in you. Yes. Amen. Tell, tell our audience what welfare reform was. Well, welfare reform was, still is, still is, is still going on now, a 501c3 faith-based nonprofit to help people um, get off of welfare and get jobs and those type of things. So we really enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of hard work. It was a calling from God. And we just appreciate the community embracing us on a local level, but also on a statewide level and got honored at the White House on a national level. So all that was good. It was all about families. So Sharon, now you're dealing with families now. And to Bill's point, what happens? You know, why is it that your organization is in in existence? Well, we've been around for um, over 40 years. And it's, it's really changed over time. When we first were created back in, in the late 1970s, we were trying to raise awareness that child abuse and neglect was an issue that we all needed to be concerned about and to raise awareness about it. And as it has evolved over time and the science has gotten really clear about what works to prevent child maltreatment and there are evidence-based programs, um, today our focus is really on moving the conversation further upstream that there are things that we know we can do to prevent abuse and neglect from ever happening in the first place. And so wow. that's, our, that's our focus. Our focus is on supporting and strengthening uh, families by supporting agencies and professionals across North Carolina that are working directly with kids and families. Um, at our organization, we don't work directly with children and families. We work with agencies all across North Carolina, from social services agencies to family resource centers to smart start agencies to help the, the folks that are in the field working directly with families support and strengthen them and build their capacity to support programs, to understand what works, and to provide concrete supports for families because we know that those are really critical too. It's not just about programming. Sharon, you uh, I heard you speak, maybe it was on YouTube, uh, you talk about the effect child abuse has downstream. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that because, you know, sure. we, we're all learning that you need to nip this early on and prevent mm -hmm. it is because the, the consequences are huge. Go ahead. Could you explain that? Sure. Sure. About over 20 years ago, there was a study called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. And it was done by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and Kaiser Permanente. And they looked at 
um, health records of people who had um, experienced different forms of adversity. They surveyed folks that were in that Kaiser system and asked them about whether or not they'd experienced uh, abuse or neglect, whether it was physical, emotional, or sexual abuse, whether or not they had um, a parent who, who was a substance abuser living in the home, whether or not um, there was ever any separation from parents, either through divorce or death or foster care. Um, and those um, adverse experiences were compared to their health records, and they found a dose-response wow. relationship between the number of adverse experiences someone had and then the, the increased likelihood of different um, health outcomes later in life. So things like depression, heart disease, lung cancer, all have correlations to things that happened to us in childhood. And we've learned over the last 20 years is that study has been um, redone and more and more folks have um, done the research that um, the five of our top 10 leading causes of death are correlated to what happens to us in childhood. And that what happens to us in childhood not only impacts um, our health, it's like it literally gets under our skin and impacts our um, immunity system. And, and the way that our children's brains develop can change based on the adversity that we experience. And so it's, it's a health issue, but it, it also costs us an enormous amount of money. Um, and so it's, it's, about our, it's about our health, it's about our well-being, but it's also about our, our, our wealth and prosperity. Um, we know that in North Carolina, we spend more than $2 billion, for example, every single year on the downstream consequences of child abuse and neglect. And folks often think about that in our social services system through CPS, foster care and adoption, but it also impacts our healthcare system. As I just mentioned, it impacts the criminal justice system because often people who've experienced a lot of this kind of violence and adversity early in life are more likely to commit crimes. Um, but where it really hits very, very hard is actually in lost worker productivity. Because of the impact on our health and well-being, it means people are absent from work. It means people get sick earlier. Um, all of those things combined, um, we spend, as I said, over $2 billion, and we spend a fraction, a tiny fraction of that on trying to prevent it in the first place. Wow. So we have a lot of work to do to help people understand that we need to stop children from falling in the river instead of pulling them out all the time. Wow. That's great. Now, now if our uh, audience wants to read that study, is there, can you give them a, a website they can go to? You said center for disease control. Yes, you can go there or you can go to our website at preventchildabusenc.org. And under the resources section, we have a section around adverse childhood experiences. Oh, that's great. And you and can go, we summarize it and then you, we can take you back to the source information at the CDC. Great. And and while they're on looking at that, they should hit the donate button, correct? That's exactly right. <laughs> Great recommendation. <laughs> no, no. And, you know, well, then it, it begs the question, how do you prevent child abuse? Well, you do that by supporting and strengthening families from the start. We talk about protective factors that we know when, when the, and these are protective factors that are, that have been studied by the Center for the Study of Social Policy. Um, and it's an evidence-informed framework. And we know when these five factors are in place, it's far less likely that abuse and neglect occurs. Um, there are five factors. I really want to emphasize that only one of them is about children. 
the other four about the adults in children's lives. Children cannot live on their own. We can't ask kids to pull themselves up by their booty straps. Um, we've got to be there to support and strengthen them from the start. And we use hand signals. So I'll, I'll talk about which, which fingers I'm, I'm talking about. But the first one is a thumbs up. And that's about children's social and emotional competence. It's the one about children. And children who um, develop a sense of self, understand how to um, interact both with their peers and with adults are less likely to be abused or neglected. They're, they're strong on their own. Uh, the second one um, is my pointer finger. And that one's about knowledge. And that's about uh, parents and caregivers' knowledge about positive parenting and child development, understanding the different stages of development, that what a two-year-old knows and understands is very different from what a five-year-old can know and understand, and that the way that they react are different. So um, that's why it's really important that we have really well-trained um, and qualified and educated um, childcare providers, as well as parents. And we talk a lot about the need for more parent education, um, but childcare providers are, are an important piece of that too. Now, your middle finger is the one that you don't want me to hold up by itself, right? So I've, I've got up all three fingers on the screen. And that one reminds us about social connections. Um, parents that have a strong social network, of uh, folks that they can call on in a crisis, people who help them. Um, faith communities are an important source of social connection. Neighborhoods are an important source of so social connection. Often employment and your colleagues are a source of social connection. All of that really matters. Parents who, who when they're feeling stressed out, have somebody they can call on um, are less likely to abuse or neglect their children. And that's why during the pandemic, we were so concerned. We wanted to, we need people to stay connected to one another. We talk a lot about the importance of connections. Connections matter. Um, our ring finger um, represents parental resilience. So parents who develop their own resilience, who can bounce back in a crisis, who don't fall apart and then can learn and grow from the adversity they experience are also less likely to abuse or neglect their kids. And then finally, your pinky finger represents concrete supports in times of need. And that one's been really, really important during the pandemic. It's things like living wages. It's things like being able to put food on the table, being able to afford diapers. Those concrete financial and economic supports are, are really, really critical. And we're finding more and more studies are showing in particular that those concrete economic supports can make a huge difference in our CPS rates. We found things like um, increases in a minimum wage in a state. For every $1 increase in a minimum wage, those states have seen 10% drops in CPS reporting. Um, things like um, earned income tax credits, even the child tax credit that we had during the pandemic, we believe have been a, a, a real source of, of strength and support for families during a really, really difficult time. And we think it's why we didn't see abuse and neglect rates increase really substantially during the pandemic. Mm. Wow, you know. You, so those are those are examples, and so it's both. Um, there are things that we can do programmatically, like having home visiting and parenting programs available, family resource centers available. But there are also policy decisions that we can make that can really make a difference in prevention. There are things like paid family and medical leave, um, 
the child tax credit, earned income tax credits, those kinds of concrete supports are just as important as the programming. And in fact, can often impact more children and families through a policy change than, than the programs that we're able to fund. Wow. Gotcha. You know, I've never lost a finger, but I've had my fingers taped up because they've been injured. And mm-hmm. when you lose the function of a finger, your hand is no longer functional the way it's supposed to be. So any one of those that you lose impacts the whole hand. Wow. Odell? Exactly right. And you, and you, and you probably hear a, a thread of stress through all of that too. Mm. That when right. families fear, experience different kinds of stress, that's, that's when we need to support and, and help them. You know, it's interesting as a three-way conversation, Odell, Bill, and Sharon, one of the things that I've learned over my years in ministry, but also in like Sharon stated, Bill, you stated early welfare form working with families. When it comes to children, people have different mentalities and different theories on how this should or shouldn't work. So I'm going to just lay some stuff out here and you don't need to comment or not, but this is something that I want to lay out. I've had as a Christian, I've been a Christian a long time. I've been a leader at a very large church for a long time. I've been going to church for 30, 37 years. Well, more than that, but really serious about it. You know, when you kids and your mama bring you to church and all that stuff, that's different. Now, I've had church people, Christian folks, and Christian organizations, because you talk about organizations, Sharon, who came to me and said, Odell, we need to get Christian people to adopt these children who may be in foster care, maybe that because we don't want gay folks to adopt them because you know how they are. And, you know, that's offensive to me because I believe any loving, caring family should have the right to adopt children because I know that whether it's the Scouts, whether it's Catholic Church, whether it's the Baptist Church, whether it's Black families, whether it's white families, whatever, children get abused in quote unquote Christian environments. So for someone to say, well, I want them to be adopted or I want them to be taken care of, I want them to go to a Christian environment. I think that's kind of having blinders on guys because we have to, wherever there's nurturing environment for children, and that's just Odell's thoughts. Sharon, Bill, what's your thoughts on that? And everybody just chime in, please. Well, I, I agree with you. We know that the, the presence of one caring adult can make the difference in the life of a child. Um, you know, as I've, I've talked about adverse childhood experiences, we also know adversity is not destiny. And the presence of that. I like that, Sharon. I like that. I like that. I like that. I like that. It it is not. It is not your destiny. But um, the presence of a caring, supportive relationship can make the difference. And all families need support, no matter what. We um, and and there's there's no limit on on who and how. Um, All all families. Need, need support in different ways. My family needed support during different times. Right. Um, we all we all experience different kinds of adversity. It's not just the adversity that um, the adverse childhood experience study looked at either. Um, but um, I'm also a, a believer that um, all all people matter. I agree. And so I agree. And, that's, and so that's hard. So, yeah. Yeah, because we want not we. I'm talking as a Christian. A lot of times Christians want it a certain way. What would Jesus do? Well, some of the stuff we do as Christians, Jesus wouldn't do. 
because Jesus came and took care of everybody. He met the woman at the well. He did all the things necessary. And I think sometimes our politics bleed into our religion. Bill, save me before I go off the deep end. <laughs> well, it's a couple of days after your birthday. You can go in the deep end. Just come back in the shallow end when you get it there. Uh, Thanks, sir. Yeah. Do you know how to swim? Yes, of course. I, I, all black people don't know how to swim, but I do know how to swim, Bill. But yes, okay. I, I learned how to swim in the creeks of South Carolina. Okay, we good. didn't have a swimming pool, you know, but we had a creek. Okay, good. Then you can swim back to the shallow end. The uh, there you go. You know, you know, this conversation is so enlightening, and I hope it's the same with our folks on the podcast because uh, it's a lot of information I didn't know, and there's a lot of information, you know, as. As we look at, you know, I, I, I was thinking about single moms. Okay. I mean, I was a single dad for a couple of years, maybe six years. And, uh, and man, it's hard. It's hard, particularly if you have young kids and, uh, and, uh, you know, it's tough to keep everything on the rails. Uh, you know, you've got time, you've got your job, you got to take care of the kids. You got to get them where they got to go. You got to take care of their health, uh, make sure they're taken care of. So it's, it, you're right, Sharon, it is a huge stressor on people. Uh, we adopted two kids as well. And, uh, you know, blending them into the family is, is always exciting. Uh, depending in, is, if you get them younger, it's a little bit easier, but if the older they are, they've been set in many of their, their patterns. So you have to blend that. And then people that remarry, you're bringing in another person into the family mm. And all of a sudden there's another stressor that comes in and the kids are the ones that feel it more so than the adults. Cause if you remarry, you obviously doing cause you love the person and you want to be with them. And some, some people readily accept the, the, that step parent position. And some of them don't. And, uh, and the kids are the ones that suffer. And, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to recall, you know, people that I know that, you know, may have some issues and you wonder what happened in their life. And as you get to know them, I was one lady that we were talking and we was telling her about the youth protection symposium we're putting on in October with your help. Thank you. And, uh, uh, she shared with me, she had been abused as a young girl. Wow. And I, I had no idea. Well, you know, you think about it though, Bill, the Catholic church, right? The Catholic church. I mean, that's the Pope. That's the Pope. Think about it. That's the Pope who's next to Jesus, God himself. Right. So if it could happen in that institute, and I'm not trying to be funny, if it could happen in that institution and Sharon, you would have to help me on this. Do people look away or people don't want to help, help me, help me, help no, me as a professional. The way, the way that um, I think about it a lot is that powerful institutions and powerful people often protect themselves and prioritize wow. the powerful institutions over children. And we've seen it over and over again. We've seen it in the Catholic church. You know, we saw that in that, the horrible scandal up in, in Boston. Um, we've seen it in USA Gymnastics. Mm. We've seen it oh, in different, yeah, yeah, different, different contexts like that where, yes. where the institution gets prioritized over the children. And, and that's, that's a real crisis in our society. We've got to be thinking differently about that. And it's exciting to see that, that the young women who have been a part of USA Gymnastics have really taken their power and are, are changing that system. I think the Catholic Church has made some strides. Um, it's not perfect. There are other churches that have had that 
that experience as well. Um, we've worked, we, we've had an initiative called Connections Matter that's about trying to prevent adverse childhood experiences and really hones in on that, that protective factor around social connections, but also the need to connect to um, your support system, the need to connect to agencies that provide support. Um, and one of the initiatives that has grown out of this has been uh, Connections Matter congregations. And we've been working with faith communities across North Carolina to help them understand the incredible role that faith communities can play in being that connection for children and for families that may be struggling. When I think about my own congregation, I think about, you know, they've off, they have a childcare center that is of high quality and prioritizes um, families with low incomes and subsidizes their, their um, participation. Um, walk in ministry that provides financial support for folks that are on the margins that are struggling. The social connection that happens every Sunday and all throughout the week, um, all, all of those things are examples of the way that faith communities can support not only their members, but the broader community. And I think that a lot of what I talk about that is focused on um, supporting and strengthening families so that children can thrive are the kinds of things that a lot of organizations already do and are doing for other reasons. And folks don't realize that it's also preventing child abuse and neglect. Um, and, and particularly preventing child neglect. You know, one of the things you asked me about earlier was like the extent of the problem. And in um, North Carolina and in other states, between 60 and 75% of child welfare cases are actually neglect cases. They're not abuse. Define, and, define neglect to our to our well, audience. The difference neglect between is neglect when children. Yeah, neglect is when children's basic needs are often not being met. It can be things like not having um, winter clothes or you know the appropriate shoes. It could be not taking care, making sure that their nutritional needs are being met. Um, things like that that are not physical or sexual abuse but that can harm children and can be just as um, adverse and have as big an impact. But they're well, often, Sharon, Sharon, but it's often Sharon, correlated to poverty. Yeah, exactly. I was getting right? ready to say, I grew up in the project, so we were neglected, but that's part of, and I'm not trying to make light of it, but I grew up in the project, so we didn't have all those things, Bill. Bill is one of how many, Bill? Eight. My dad was a fireman, and mm -hmm. we had, we never had new cars. We never had new furniture. We got shoes once a year, and I remember the uh, electricity being turned off, and the gas being turned off, and bill collectors calling, and what we were supposed to say. You know, he, with eight kids and making twenty thousand a year, uh, it was tough. It was tough, and uh, you know, those. You know, I, I can remember something. This is interesting. I think I might have been seven or eight, and I couldn't sleep one night. And I came downstairs and my mom and dad were sitting at the kitchen table and they said, Billy, what, what are you doing? I said, mom and dad, I'm worried that we don't have enough money to pay your bills and to get food. At seven and eight, I remember that. And it has stuck to me this day that I worry about money. And that's why it's, it's important that we talk about that in, in our policy arena, because that, it doesn't have to be that way. One of the things that's been so fascinating to me during the pandemic is that we, there's just been a study done by, at Tufts University that looked at you know, some of the other indicators of abuse and neglect, because it's not always reported, include ER visits and head injury um, hospitalizations. 
for children. And those numbers did not go up during the pandemic. And many people thought that they would. And the theory is that the child tax credit, which gave families a significant amount of financial boost during the pandemic, reduced that load on many, many families and reduced the stress. And for some families, they were able to spend more time together Mm. and had less of the running around um, to every single soccer game and basketball game and baseball game and all the activity kinds of things. And some families got stronger by being together more and not having all of those other demands on their, on their time and their attention. So I think we've learned a lot of lessons during the pandemic about the things that we can do to prevent abuse and neglect from happening. And we've got to create the political will to see some of those kinds of investments continue. Wow. I tell you what, this is some pretty heavy stuff here uh, for a Monday morning <laughs> after Mother's Day. Uh, this has been so enlightening to me, uh, but, and I can't wait to read that study and, and uh, uh, sit down with that and, and get learn more about this and share it with my my network of friends. Odell, do you have anything in your church that um, addresses child neglect? We do. But I'm sitting here thinking that as a child by Sharon's uh, definition, and, and I agree with her. First thing, let me say I agree with her, but I want to come at it from another perspective. If we're not careful, and I know Sharon, I know her heart, I know you, Bill, and I know your heart, we will penalize poor families for being poor. Because I remember, Bill, and your, what you just stated touched me because at seven or eight years old, that's the last thing a child should be worried about. Mom and dad, do we have food or do we have enough money for our bills? That's adults worrying concerns. Now, I was on the other end, a single divorced, single mother, four kids, disabled. You know, everybody know the story. Poor. We, we, if, if, if by that definition, DSS or social services could have come into our house at any time. Anytime it took us away from my mother, which would have been the worst thing that could have happened because she was, we had love in our house. We didn't have any money. We didn't have food. We didn't have furniture. We, our bills, but we had love. And our mother always told us, you could be anything you want in this world as long as you did three things. You got the best education that you can. You trust in God and you always treat people right. Now, now those are three things she taught us and her love and her protection and what happens, Sharon, what happens, Bill, what happens, Odell, when the definition or DSS comes in and takes a family from a child, I mean, excuse me, take a child from a family that's loving there, because a lot of times being poor is no one's fault. Life happens sometimes. And Sharon, I know, and I, I'm not coming at it from this angle, because I know that's not what you're advocating but to the point of no, don't. It's actually the opposite. Neglect. Yes, it's the, the exactly. opposite. The neglect part that you're saying. Let's come in and help strengthen the families. Exactly. And let me interject and, something before you do that, Sharon, because mm-hmm. as as he was talking, I was reflecting on my my particular circumstance. Uh, we never felt that we were neglected. Uh, we had a great childhood growing up. Uh, mom was home all the time. Dad worked. Um, he would take us on the job sometimes. We'd go camping. We'd go fishing. I mean, there was a lot of group activities with eight people. Uh, he'd support us in our sporting events or Boy Scouts, whatever we were in. And so I never felt neglect from the uh, not having enough love. 
that that part never happened. Uh, so I, I I grew up just thinking that well, some people have a bigger house and have nicer things, and maybe someday I can get that. Sorry to interrupt you there, Sharon. Oh no, that that's that's perfectly okay. Um, the um, the thing I really want to emphasize is that we also know that one of those adverse childhood experiences is separation of children from their parents, and unfortunately, as our child welfare system has evolved over time, the the way that we've been protecting children has been to remove them from their parents and their families. And that's another form of trauma and toxic stress for children. So um, we've been having a lot of conversations about what else can be done to prevent that from happening. How do we support and strengthen that family instead of using the, the first um, reaction to be removal? from a family. And it's been particularly um, terrible that, the, that there's a disproportionate number of children of color that are being yes. removed from families. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a huge issue that we're deeply, deeply concerned about. And I'm, I'm happy to tell you that uh, in the last few years that Congress passed legislation to start reforming child welfare called the Family First Prevention Services Act. And it's kind of mind blowing, but up until that act passed, um, you couldn't spend the dollars that are spent for child welfare on preventing kids from entering foster care. Right. Now the primary goal is to prevent children from entering foster care. The primary goal previously had been child safety. And the way that we were protecting children was to remove them from a family and place them someplace else. Now we're going to be able to spend money on mental health services, on substance abuse treatment services for parents, and for parenting education in the home as part of the response initially, rather than separation first. You know, we were all horrified in the last couple of years that so many children were separated from their parents at the border, but we've been doing that in our child welfare system for a really, really long time. Wow. And we haven't framed it that way. So there's a big movement to focus more on moving supports and services upstream to help families that are at risk or start to be identified by child welfare and wrap those services around that family to support and strengthen them. You think about the, the stress and the load that are on many, many parents that are reported to child welfare. They're often struggling to put food on the table. They may be having a difficulty finding a job um, and they may not have the support system that that I did when my kids were little to help me out when I needed some help and, and, and support. So um, really helping that system rethink how it supports and strengthen families is, is where I think the system is going for the next 20 years. And that's exciting. I, I agree. You know, Sharon, one of the things, and Bill, you could help me. Do you all remember when I was little, it was this show called Good Times used to come on. I don't know if you all remember that, Bill. Did they do good times at Perma? No, we never did good times. We did we did happy times, but not good. Okay, <laughs> let me explain. Good time was a show where you had a family uh, living in the projects. I think it was in Chicago, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, probably depicted Green Cabrini Greens projects, the largest in the country. And in those days, if you were on welfare. And a social worker would come in and look through the whole apartment and all this to make sure you didn't have a man living in the house. So in a lot of cases, if there was a father or a figure, a male figure, those children, they had to be out of the house. You couldn't help it because if they got out of the house, 
the family qualified for services, exactly what Sharon is talking about, food, housing, all kinds of other benefits. And I think the system, I know what they were trying to do, but I think when you got to the point of saying, hey, I'll, this family could do better without the father in the family, or if the father was going through hard times, it was easier to disconnect yourself from the family so the family can get benefits. And then it was a cat and mouse game where if the father's living there, then the family would lose all the benefits. So it was a lot of the sitcom had a lot of, it was laughing as a child, you laugh at it, but now as an adult, you look at it and you're like, ouch, kind of like Archie Bunker. It's like where the social worker would come in and look in the closet, look under the bed and look and see if, a, if the father is in there living, hiding. So it's interesting from that perspective. So Sharon, you're absolutely right. Uh, families of color, uh, we're getting, it, it's just hard. It's hard and it is disproportionately affecting because if someone's poor and someone reports them to quote unquote DSS or social services, and you're right, you're working one and two jobs and now you have a, a, a teenager or 13 year old babysitting their two younger siblings. Well, you know what that means. You come home, they're gonna take everybody. You know, And I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong, but a lot of cases people are making, policymakers are making decisions at a middle, upper middle class viewpoint on how families should or shouldn't live. And that's why I'm somewhat perturbed from time to time when Christians come in and say, you know what? No matter what, we don't need this person to be adopted or cared for, for by, by a gay family. And, you know, I have my own personal views on all that. And this is not the time or the place or the space for them. However, what I will say is this. I believe that as long as a loving, caring adult, because I was poor, I was in the hood. Trust me, poverty was not my friend. I saw a lot of stuff by good church people. I saw... Uh, parents abusing their children. If you can show me somewhere with their loving arms for a child, then I'm there. I'm there. So I'll leave it right there. Bill, Sharon, your points, your thoughts. Well, let me say too that the science is really clear about that. I think that you're coming at it from a, a faith perspective, and that's super important. And the science says the presence of one caring adult in the life of a child can buffer the adversity that a child feels. That's when I say adversity is not destiny. Having that caring, nurturing, loving connection can make all the difference. And it's wonderful when it's parents, but it could be a, it could be a, a, a youth group leader. It can be a teacher. It can be a coach. Um, the presence of that one stable, nurturing connection makes all the difference in the life of a child, especially when they've experienced adversity. And, and again, you're right, Bill. I, I agree. I agree. I, I think, uh, you know, you think uh, my personal experience, the, the time I felt most alone and insecure was when both my parents were out of the house. I just, I don't know what it was about that. I didn't feel abandoned. That's probably not the right word, but the separation and the presence of them in the house, because I trusted them. I, they, I knew they loved me. The security of their presence just in the house made a whole difference on uh, my anxiety level. I don't know about your anxiety level, and I'm not going to dispute that, but my grandfather used to tear my behind up. <laughs> I mean, with a stenching cord, with a belt, with, and so some of the beatings, they weren't whipping. Some of the beatings that I got as a child, and you say, oh, do you deserve it or not? Well, I was acting up. Some of that 
I know what qualified for abuse and neglect. Now, am I a better person for it? I don't know. That's just the culture I grew up in. That's the way I was raised. Uh, I knew he loved me. I knew he cared for me. That was his way of disciplining me. So Sharon, if someone would have called DSS, they would have took me away from the people who love me and care for me and took me someplace else where people may not have loved me, may not have cared for me. And then when we take Odell from his family and Odell ages out of foster care or some other system at the age of 18 where everyone's been doing things for him, how does Odell know how to take care of oneself? Yeah, and Odell, about the the beating that you got, you know, that was a learned trait from your your grandfather learned it from someplace. That's you're yeah, not he learned born with that because he probably no, no, got no. Beat. he learned he it from his did. people. We learned it from his people. Learned yep. from his people yep. because I believe Bill, as descendants of slaves, for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven generations, that's where that stuff came from. I mm. believe that. Now, someone would say, "Well, wait a minute, I'm white and I used to got my behind cut too." I get it, but that's just my personal beliefs. Even the thoughts that they were saying, hey, you know you did something wrong, go get a switch. Go get your own switch. You know, from the tree, yeah. get your switch well, and everything else. I think it comes back to what Sharon was saying. It's education. Okay, kids kids misbehave. I mean, it's, adults misbehave. But there's, you know, there's an education, and how do you deal with that? And education to the parents to try and break that pattern is so important that, you know, go ahead, Sharon, you're going to say something. Well, absolutely. Um, You know, in the example that you gave Odell, um, instead of taking a family and separating them, instead providing access to educational information around positive parenting, to Mm -hmm. me is a much more appropriate response and teaching someone how to help a child, uh, you know, often, when children are acting out, it's because they're stressed and they don't know how to respond um, and helping to redirect or to have more appropriate positive discipline is a lot of what the uh, parenting programs that we support do for families and being able to offer that rather than separating a family and making the trauma worse for everybody involved, both the parents and the child is, is a much more um, humane and smart way, frankly, to respond. And there are a couple of programs in North Carolina that, that your listeners should know about. And they're, they're across the country. There are programs like the Incredible Years that teaches about young children through um, elementary age and, and how to um, work with children that way. Um, Circle of Parents is an incredible program that allows parents to have mm-hmm. a mutual support network. Triple P is the Positive Parenting Program. And it's available all across North Carolina. And it's actually, there's even a free online version of Triple P. All you have to do is Google Triple P and you can get access to the free resources there. Um, If we normalized asking for help and for parents to go to parent support and parent education programs, uh, we could really change the trajectory of, of many, many children's lives. You know, one of the things I talk about a lot, and I may do this when when I come in October, Mm-hmm. We have normalized Lamaze classes and um, childbirth classes for folks when they're pregnant. We spend a lot of time, I spent a lot of time in those, and my, my kids are 30 and 27. So that was a right. long time ago. Um, but we don't normalize parenting education programs. And often, too often, we think the only people that go to parenting education programs are those that are court ordered to do that. 
If we change that, we could, I mean, when you think about it, our brains develop so fast when kids are really little. Um, Millions of neurons are developed every year, particularly in babies. And it, it, it happens all the way through to when our brains fully develop at age 25. Parenting is the most important thing that we do in developing future human beings. Um, if uh-huh. we could normalize parenting education programs and make them available universally to everyone, we would have greater health and prosperity for the entire country. Wow. Well said. You know, well said. Bill, you know, I, I thought it came on, so I apologize. I thought, um, boy, this thing is just opening up all kinds of things I haven't thought about in years. I remember once, Sharon, and let me explain it because you're like, Odell, oh, no, this don't make sense what you're getting ready to say. I remember when I was in the third grade, uh, during those times, we were going through integration schools and everything. And I remember the principal used to punish you with a, had this big old uh, wooden paddle. And I think that was called. Corporal punishment. Corporal punishment. And I had a teacher and the teacher happened to be white and we didn't get along. And I remember her going into principal's office uh, take me in the principal's office. I sat outside and went in to talk to the principal. And she came out with this smirk on her face. Well, what I didn't know was I went in the principal office. The principal was like, okay, Odell, here we go again. Three, three paddles or three days suspension. But what I didn't know, and her and the principal agreed that they were going to turn the intercom on back in my homeroom class. So the kids in the classroom could hear me get paddled. And I remember saying the three paddles and taking the three paddles and it was very hard. And I remember yelling when he hit me and I remember walking back in the class. He sent me back in the class and me walking in the class and the kids were laughing. I didn't know what they were laughing at. And later on during recess, one of my friends said, what happened? Now you talk about powerful institutions protecting themselves. See, that's a situation where the kid, Odell, wasn't guilty. It was the teacher and the principal. So this stuff is crazy as far as abuse and neglect. And, you know, Odell was the poor kid, so not a victim, but things happened. And I always saw it as like, okay, that just wasn't a good day. Well, I'm sure if it was the other parents found out about that, they would be suing the school. But the teacher took delight in that. The principal partook in it and the kids laughed at it. So those are the things when you talk about kids act out because of trauma, my God, when it's systemic, when it's systemic, it is systemic, it's ridiculous. And so much of it is systemic. It's, it's not always about, I mean, often when, we, when folks talk to me, when they hear about what I do for a living and what our work is, um, they're, they're talking about individual families and individual people, and they don't understand the systems that are impacting the behavior. And, and that's a, a huge part of why we're focused on both policy and using a public health approach to, to this work and making sure that things are universally available to everyone. Um, things like parenting education, like child tax credits, like making sure we've got living wages for folks, because that's, that's the system that we all are swimming in <laughs> that is part of um, what, what can either be a supportive nurturing environment or not be a supportive nurturing environment. And thankfully in North Carolina in the last couple of years now, there's not a school system in North Carolina that still has corporal punishment on the books. That's been banned by every school board in North Carolina. 
And so thankfully that's not happening to children anymore. But we know any kind of violence like that can have a negative impact on a child. And it's why it's so important that we educate parents, we educate teachers, we educate yeah. um, youth group leaders, everyone on what, what works to support and strengthen children from the start. Yeah. Well, why are you so excited about the symposium that Bill and myself are leading? Why did you agree to uh, be the keynote speaker? It's a great opportunity to talk to more people about the importance of investing upstream and focusing on prevention in the first place. Um, every adult um, has a responsibility to support and nurture our children, even if you don't have children, because all of us are impacted by what happens when we don't. So the opportunity to talk to more folks across the state that are working in organizations that are supporting children or supporting families is an opportunity to um, change systems and change points of view and change mindsets about what works. Too often, we think that child abuse is an inevitable. It's actually very, very preventable. And the more I can tell that story, the better. Amen. Well, Meaning that when I say he loves it, meaning that this is Bill's baby. Odell's along for the ride. I'm here to support my good friend. <laughs> and why does it mean so much to you? Because you're driving this thing. I mean, you, all these obstacles and sharing, you no. have no idea. Audience, you have no idea about the obstacles. But Bill, why? Why? You're right. We have a lot of obstacles. We'll get through them. You know, it's interesting. Uh, it's a good question, Odell. You know, I, I, I'm a firm believer that when God opens a door, you better go through it or he's going to keep pushing you and nudging you and talking to you. And God opened this door in the child abuse thing. Uh, Odell and I flew down to Atlanta and uh, a, there was an agency down there that, that did this. And Odell and I sat down and we said, boy, we have a nonprofit called Youth in North Carolina. Uh, we just had our big fundraiser this weekend, a Kentucky Derby party. I said, let's, let's channel all the money raised and see if we can raise a little more and do that same sort of thing for the entire state of North Carolina and even South Carolina. And, and I'm with Sharon. Once I started learning about this and becoming educated, I said, holy cow, this is my word, the holy grail of how to get things fixed early on in kids' lives and uh, in downstream as opposed to dealing with it upstream. And uh, I love youth. I've been a youth leader at our church for almost 18 years, and uh, I've been involved in scouts and a whole bunch. Of, I just, I just, youth are my passion. Uh, I'm the oldest of eight. I actually raised my four younger brothers because mom and dad were busy. And uh, when I would go on dates, I would take my four brothers with me. And if the girl didn't enjoy that, then she wasn't going on my date. Wait a minute, Bill. Wait, you know, three is a crowd. And you taking five, you know, come on, Bill. Yeah, we outnumbered her. So that was part of the strategy. But my <laughs> brothers were really funny. They they would open the door for her and yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Can I get you anything? They were really, so it made me look good. Uh, so there was an ulterior motive. <laughs> but uh, hey, Sharon, we're getting near the end. And we always ask our, our guests, uh, how do they find common ground? And, and uh, I know you've been thinking about this, so. I'm going to turn it over to you to answer that question. Sure. I, I find common ground because we've, we've both, every one of us has been a child and wow. I've never met anyone who um, was in favor of children being hurt. Um, no one wants to see that happen. And so that's, that's the point of, of entry for any conversation, no matter um, 
what political stripe anyone is or what, what um, faith background or connection. We've all been children and we all wanna see children um, healthy, safe and nurtured. So having a conversation about this work is to me is very easy because um, we all want our, all of our children to grow up and, and thrive and be successful because that's that they are our future. Well said, so, well said. And uh, I learned something and I think Odell did. Adversity is not your destiny. I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and Bill, I'm going to say something and then you close it out. But I, the thought just kept coming to me and I thought it was a scripture. You know, we think everything's a scripture when you're a Baptist preacher, but it's not. <laughs> it says it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And my Google search says it comes from Frederick Douglass. Douglas. But think about it. It's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And I want to say broken men and women, because it's, it's I, I have no idea, but the grace of God, why I'm not crazy as a bad bug. Meaning that all the stuff, all the trauma my family went through and everything. And all I could say, Sharon, all I could say, Bill, all I could say, Odell, all I could say is the listening audience is that mama said it. Mommy said, all you have to do is three things. Trust in God, get the best education you can, and never look down, but help other people. And if you do those those three things, you could be anything you want to be in life. Now, understand, this is a woman who's been abused in, in her marriage. She was abused. She was abused in the medical system, not a victim, uh, misdiagnosed with a stroke, all that stuff. But she still said. So I thank God that someone didn't look at my little raggedy family with a uh, disabled mother and four little poor kids running around with no shoes and all this and didn't take us away from my mother because we were able to stay with our mother. We were strong children instead of broken men and women. Amen. Amen. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, Executive Producer. Jeremy Powell, Creative Director. Jacob Sutherland, Director. All rights reserved. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 Chief Financial Officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PNL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulating and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years.